Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. This is episode 20. I started this thing three months ago. We've already got 20 episodes live, and I'm really loving this process of podcasting. It's added a ton of life to my life. I'm going to record a, make a solo episode one of these days, but putting that off because it's daunting to just talk in front of a mic for an hour. I have enough trouble doing it for two, three minutes in these intros. Anyways, this episode is awesome. It's with Michael Amons. He dives deep into his struggle with opiate addiction and depression and healing from the pain that caused that and using this as a gift to give to the tribe. So turning his curse into a gift. It's an incredible story. He used somatic breathing to come to a deep realization about his path in life and he is now sharing ways to heal through movement, through nutrition, through nature, through community. We talk also about ice cream, which Michael is a master of making raw milk, ice cream, beautiful Arizona nature, and and many more topics. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. Michael Amons, great to be with you. Case, happy to be here, brother. Thanks so much for uh, setting aside some time. I'm stoked to stoked to chat with you a little bit. Absolutely, really looking forward to this conversation. You're one of the more interesting creators that I've been able to find and connect with through the internet. And one interesting aspect that that I've observed, or, or at least that I kind of feel through the vibrations of what you're creating, is, is there's a lot of heart in it, which is a lot much different from from what I, what I see with a lot of other sort of internet things a lot of it kind of seems cookie cutter or, or really cognitive intelligent uh you know kind of approach not to say that what you're creating isn't intelligent but there, there's there's definitely a lot of like there's hard energy in it which which is kind of i don't know if you you feel that yourself uh, or, if, or if you think i'm just being kind of crazy with that with that observation no man um first of all it's really kind of you to say uh and i i think it um hopefully is accurate because when i was first starting like back in january i was talking to people about starting to put myself out there online, starting to, you know, write, create, whatever you want to call it. And I was asking for advice from a friend and I was like, what should my brand name be? Like, I don't like, I, I, I was just trying to figure out all this stuff. And I was getting like really into like these details about like, what should my brand be? And he was like, Hey man, take a step back. You are your brand. There's nothing more that people are craving in this world today than authenticity. Right. So he said the thing that you should be striving for when it comes to putting yourself out there online is being as genuinely yourself as humanly possible, because that is where people will uh, will keep people will resonate with that more than any, you know, brand name or logo or anything else you want to do. They'll resonate with you as a person. So really appreciative to hear you say that. And I'm glad it's coming across that way, because that is something I've really strived to do ever since that friend told me that just be yourself and be genuine. And, you know, not everybody's going to love that side of me or not everybody's going to resonate with me and they might resonate with you or they might resonate with somebody else and vice versa. So that's why this, you know, this whole thing works out so perfectly is because as long as we're being ourselves, you know, there are going to be people who are riding that same wave. So that's a great way to, great way to look at it. Do you believe in the whole sort of heart energy thing? Like if you were to say some people, you know, there's this way of looking around like, Oh, just speak from your heart or come for your heart. You know, what's your perception on that sort of, you can be, we can be authentic. And I think, that might mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people or like, how does, how did, how did that kind of play out as, as you went, went about it? When it comes to, you know, heart energies or frequencies or resonance and things like that, I, to answer your question, I definitely believe in that. 
that was uh you know an idea that i was introduced to relatively recently um through some of dispenza's work uh so i i absolutely believe that and and i believe that um you know we all live in this sort of energetic uh, field that's as imperceptible to us as water would be to a fish, right? Like this is something that's constantly happening all around us and, and we can't necessarily feel it with our five senses, but it's there and it's something that intuitively we can feel, right? Um, and I can't take credit for that quote around it's, it being as imperceptible to us as water to a fish. I did steal that from somebody, but it resonated with me a ton. I was like, wow, like this electro, like this electromagnetic environment that we're living in, it's, it's real, it's here. And it's something that we're all feeling and we're all communicating with one another, you know, in that sort of nonverbal realm. Right. And, uh, I was never aware of it, never aware of it until I was introduced to some of Dispenza's work and started diving into that, that esoteric realm a little bit more deeply. It reminds me of that. There's a David Foster Wallace speech, high school speech, where he's he's kind of touching on that same theme where there's like two fish swimming along and then one goes like, how's the water today, boys? And the other one's like, what's water? You know, <laughs> like if fish aren't, aren't aware of, of it. Exactly. And, and it yeah, there's definitely so much going on beyond what our senses can pick up. And I, I love Dr. Joe's dispensive work where he's, he's able to point out some of these things that we're starting to uncover with science. But then on the other hand, they're also... Kind of talked about with ancient traditions where we've we've got this connection happening in a lot of realms where modern science is kind of verifying what what traditional wisdom has has known for for a long time what was the catalyst for you to kind of get onto this journey where you are being authentic and, and sharing with the world there are a few things that that started the journey for me i had a really you know i guess intense sort of roller coaster type of experience throughout my 20s with you know a number of different things i'm sure we'll get into later on in this conversation but coming out the other side of really being in the depths of depression uh, addiction and truly being at a rock bottom in my life and then coming out of that i think it's a natural trajectory to find yourself in a space where um, once you crawl your way out of rock bottom, you start to feel this like really slingshot of like exponential growth in your life and you start to look for what's next. Right. And that was a big, uh, a big thing for me is once I got my life finally back on track to like a baseline of what a normal per a normal functioning human was doing, I was like, oh, wow, this actually feels really good. Um, what can I do to make this feel even better and get myself to an even an even better place in life. Right. And um, so so that slingshot, I would say, is the first part of it, slingshotting out of rock bottom and the exponential growth out. At the beginning of this year, I also did a breathwork workshop. The modality of breathwork is called somatic release breathwork. And the idea is that the breath is sort of a bridge between our conscious mind and our subconscious mind, right? When it comes to our autonomic nervous system, things like digestion, hormones, etc., these are all processes in our bodies that are automatic. We don't have to consciously think about it, right? The one thing is with the breath, as I'm talking to you right now, I obviously don't have to think about it. I just breathe. So it is in that realm of the autonomic nervous system, but I can also just take a moment consciously take a breath. So it's in this weird gray area between being part of the autonomic nervous system and 
being something that we can consciously control. So with this breathwork modality, it's using that bridge or that portal between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind to release negative, uh, negative energies, emotional traumas, things that we store in our body. And when I went through this workshop in January of this year, I had already been, you know, on the path of getting my health into my own hands. Um, but from a mental place, there was such an incredible release that took place an emotional release and a physical release as well in January that really made me, um, realize what I had to offer the world. And, you know, as, as small or as big as that offering may be, all of our voices are important. And that was something that I realized through this workshop, um, that my voice was important and my voice was needed. And, and it also relates back to this, you know, experience I had going through my rock bottom where, uh, something that was told to me in the workshop was that trauma has a um, has a place in society, right? Like if you look back at, you know, ancient tribes and things like that, you would go through a traumatic experience. And in the old days, that would be like escaping from a predator or something like that, right? Very much like fight or flight type of experiences. Um, and when you came out of that traumatic experience, the beautiful thing about experiencing that trauma as difficult as it may have been for you, was that now you have something to offer the tribe. People can learn from your experience. And that was a moment uh, where I realized that my traumatic experiences, my, you know, roller coaster through my 20s and the depths of rock bottom and things like that, it actually had great utility because now I have something to offer the tribe, the tribe being greater society. Wow, that's a really powerful transformation from something so simple as the breath or so seemingly simple as, as the breath. Did you have any kind of awareness to the potential transformative effect of this workshop, the somatic breathing experience that you went through? Did, did you, did you think maybe it would be something like that or was, did it kind of take you by surprise? Great question. I, um, so my journey into breath work started like pretty much everybody nowadays is like Wim Hof, right. And just doing some of that. And I was really taken by the physiological changes that were taking place within my body. Um, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, you are literally feeling almost like uh, a, a body high. Um, and then also an energetic uh, increase after a, you know, a Wim Hof or a two month breathing session. Like you're feeling this, it's, it's tangible, it's palpable, right? So I knew there was something there from the emotional perspective and from the trauma release perspective. I had no idea what I was in for, <laughs> but I did have a little bit of background just through seeing things on social media about somatic release breath work. And uh, I kind of knew that there was, it, it definitely called to me, I would say, but I was not prepared for the transformative experience that would take place uh, through those four days. And it was, um, I mean, it was amazing, truly. It seems like there's sort of a, a pre, you know, a Michael, the before Michael and then the after Michael, and you were able to kind of tap into this thing that so many people are starving for sort of like a deeper level of, of transformation, this ability to sort of shed the skin of the old self and then emerge in, into like a, a fresh start, a, a blank slate, a tabula rasa to be able to really dig deep and, and, and make some of these changes. I know personally, I've 
one of the biggest struggles of life is like kind of knowing that you need to do certain things, but then just like actually implementing that into life is, is difficult. Like it's, it's tough to do, especially when it's a lot of changes at once. You think you need to like overhaul your whole life is, is this something that, that you, um, because you mentioned you, you're certified as a teacher with this now, have you gone, have you taken this as, as a part of your life to kind of share the practice with, with more people, or is it um, something kind of looking forward to doing more in, in the future? The workshop itself ended up being something that was really important for me. And when you go through a transformational experience like that, you come out of it with a lot of vigor and uh, a lot of motivation to share and bring it to other people. So there were uh, a few months afterwards where I was doing one-on-one sessions with people. Um, I was doing group sessions as a co-facilitator and, uh, the healing that you receive through helping others with their own healing is profound. I will say this summer I went through, um, I would just call it a rut, a little bit of a, a place in my life where I didn't feel as though I was in a, a good mental space to hold space for other people. Um, so in order to honor that, I, I took some time away from it and uh, my interests have sort of changed to helping people uh, who are in chronic pain through movement-based therapies. Um, so while that will always be a part of my toolkit, it's not something I've necessarily been actively sharing, especially in the more recent months. Uh, though, like I said, it'll always be there. And I think in certain situations, um, I'm, as I work with people who are dealing with chronic pain, it's going to be something I, I use in the right circumstances uh, because there are, you know, there are physical uh, abnormalities that can lead to chronic pain, but there's also emotional trauma that can lead to chronic pain. Um, so if there's, you know, if there's a place for it, it's there. Beautiful. Yeah. There's so many modalities that are, you know, popping up and that are available. It's, it's kind of wild because it, there is so much pain and suffering, but then we've got all these tools kind of arising. And it does sort of remind me of something like a, a psychedelic experience. I know when I was at rock bottom, sort of in my early 20s, broke, failing at a school, just struggling with alcoholism, somehow sort of found my way to like, uh, had some LSD offered to me and that just was really helpful. Um, I know it's not helpful for everyone and it was a mixed bag. Like some parts of that were not helpful and some, and some parts were, but then from that, I, I got like really into martial arts, which was able to help me sort of develop more discipline. And, and I was able to get on the upward trajectory, although it hasn't been like linear. It's been certainly had its, its ups and downs, but when, when you were detailing this experience of, of going through the breath work and releasing a lot of, of trauma and some of the stored sort of negative energy that was within you, how did that develop? Because you mentioned struggling with depression and, and drug addiction early on in your life. What was, what was that part of your, your story like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, uh, it's a journey. Um, when I was, so, you know, I, I always grew up playing sports. I, I really identified as an athlete. Um, I come from a family of athletes. Uh, my dad's an ultra runner. Um, so just to kind of give you the backstory of like this being part of my identity, this being part of who I thought Michael Ammons was. Right. And, uh, sports ended in high school. You know, I didn't, I decided not to pursue lacrosse. That was my main, my main sport. I decided not to pursue it through college. So I got in the weight room. 
um, and found an amazing outlet for my body through, through lifting weights and just doing, you know, traditional strength and conditioning and bodybuilding type of exercises. Uh, and that was incredible. I mean, I, I absolutely loved it. Me and a friend were, uh, my roommate at the time we were, you know, doing CrossFit, uh, going to the CrossFit gym sometimes twice a day. I mean, truly overtraining, but, uh, at the time you feel invincible and it was something, you know, we just, we just loved it so much. We just wanted to be moving weight and pushing ourselves and we would get home and we would cook up like, you know, 20 eggs between the two of us. And we would try and crush as many as possible because we wanted, like, we wanted to go to the CrossFit games. Like we were so, you know, we were so into it. I was also majoring in exercise science, uh, at the time, uh, Arizona state. So all these things coming together, like I felt like I had found, you know, I found my passion. I found why I was here. Right. And you know, what, what happens oftentimes, especially in CrossFit gyms, but in gyms all over the world, uh, when people are overtraining, uh, injuries tend to follow. And I failed the squat, you know, we were doing a three rep max PR that day at the CrossFit gym. Uh, I was pushed a little bit beyond what I was comfortable with at the time by, by the coach, cause they were, you know, ex college football meatheads, just like, yeah, more weight, more weight, more weight, which we loved at the time. But, uh, I was pushed a little bit further. I failed to squat a couple pops in the low back and, uh, you know, was just woke up the next day, like, Hmm, like something's wrong. Something's wrong with my lower back. Went through the typical, you know, got an MRI, went to the orthopedic guy and the diagnosis was bulging discs in, in my lumbar spine. And I, for a while, tried to, you know, continue to work out through it. It didn't work out so well. Um, the pain would get worse. And uh, then I was going to physical therapy to no avail, um, trying a lot of different methods to heal epidural injections, no dice. So there were all of these things that I was trying and I started to become very frustrated uh, with the fact that nothing was working. And I began to feel as though I was in a place where, you know, how can I even become an exercise professional if I can't even practice what I preach without being in pain? So there was that mental aspect going on as well. And all of a sudden, this purpose that I had felt that I had come to with my life was being sort of, in my view, stripped from me right at the time. And to make matters worse, a doctor prescribed me uh, opiates to help with the pain, oxycodone, Percocet, right? So it was a perfect storm, right? Like mentally not in a good place, physically not in a good place, prescribed, you know, uh, narcotics essentially. And I you probably can guess where this is going. I don't have to tell you that, you know, I, I went down a really bad path with opiates. I got to the point where um, I was picking up off the street. I was using the change that I had in my car to buy gas. So I would have enough money to buy pills. Um, I will say I, I, I'm very grateful. I never did heroin uh, and I never went to rehab. Although the turning point for me was uh, my parents had an idea, obviously, that something was going on and eventually came out through some of our conversations that I was addicted to drugs. And I heard them on the phone through their bedroom door on hold with a rehab center. And I burst in and I said, mom, dad, I will do anything. Please do not make me go to rehab. Um, and that was for a number of reasons. You know, I, I, I think that opiates are 
um, different in the way that they change your brain chemistry and the way that they take over a person. I mean, it truly changed who I was. I, I, I would lie without second thought. I stole from people I love. Um, it changed everything about me. But I knew I didn't want to go to rehab. I didn't want to be at Thanksgiving dinner and have people wondering if I could have a glass of wine or not, like that kind of thing, you know? So um, anyway, that was that was the story. That was the turning point for me. I have, haven't done a pill. That was, I guess, almost six years ago now. I haven't done a pill since I heard, you know, that conversation taking place through the door and uh, slowly had to begin to climb my way out of that really dark place where my whole life was in shambles. I was dead broke. I had lost trust with all the people that I loved and all the people I cared about. I was alone. Um, but I did end up, you know, getting better and uh, regaining that trust and regaining that love with my family. Obviously could not have done it without them. Um, and, you know, I am in a much better place now. And this has now come full circle for me where I realize you know, <laughs> all this stuff that happened, like starting with this beginning of the injury was I used to, I used to curse God. Like, why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? I used to think it was a curse. And the beautiful realization I had actually during the breathwork workshop was this is not a curse. This is a gift. Um, it comes back to that, you know, when you go through a traumatic experience, now you have something to offer to the tribe. So this is my offering to the tribe, right? So this this really um, visceral experience that I had with addiction, with depression, with going through this, you know, almost 10 years of chronic pain. I mean, my back, you know, my even still my back isn't 100%, but I'm in a much, much better place. But all these experiences that I've accumulated through the years, I am now taking full circle back into the health and wellness world, back into the exercise professional world, if you want to call it that and using that to help others. So that's, uh, that's the background story. I hope it wasn't too long winded. Oh, that's a beautiful journey that, that you went on and thank you for sharing it. It's uh, profound and inspirational as, as we all go through challenges in life and, and sometimes it, it seems small, sometimes they're big. And one thing I was imagining while you, while you were describing that is I know that the, the magnitude of, of the, the problems that a lot of people are facing similar, similar issues, whether it's uh, opioid addiction or, or back pain or, or both and loss of purpose, you know, missing, missing identity. This is like, this is widespread. Um, and if, if you imagine all those people sort of in really, it would be like multiple football stadiums, you know, all of them just like wailing out in pain, just like suffering from the, from the just sheer white hot burn of, of that, that experience. It's, it's, and you are able to, to stand up and say, hold on, like I figured something out, like I'm onto something here, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm on this path to, to healing and, and getting a little bit better. And, and if you can help a few other people, now that you're on the path of actually doing that, and it's hero's journey in, in a lot of ways where you're able to sort of come over these obstacles and, and conquer that within yourself and now sharing it, sharing it with the collective. What was it? What was it like being addicted? Not to linger on that too much, but I am curious a little bit about the details of, of being in that experience of, of, you know, being just dragged down the, the rabbit hole and, and unable to, to change your ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. So, so no need to apologize whatsoever. Um, 
so it's a slow burn at first, right? Like you're, you're kind of in this place where it's fun. So maybe you're in with some friends, uh, you're getting high. You guys are all hanging out on the couch, right? Like it's just like maybe playing some video games, just being a total degenerate. But uh, at the time it feels harmless. It feels fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to burn a little more quickly where you're saying, okay, like now I, I, now I feel like I need this every day. Right. At least in some capacity. Um, and then you are going to your, you know, meet your drug dealer every day, or you're running out of your pills, you know, two weeks early from your prescription. Um, and then it gets much worse the first day you wake up and you realize that you are sick. Um, you have flu-like symptoms, your cold sweats, fevers, chills, um, gastrointestinal issues, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, and you realize it's because you're withdrawing. Um, and I'll never forget the first time I felt that. It was, it was terrifying, but at the time, there was only one solution and I was like, well, I need, I need to go get some drugs. And then, yeah, it just progresses from there, right. To where all of a sudden you're doing some of the things I, I mentioned before, lying, um, stealing from family members, uh, doing really whatever you can to ensure that you don't feel that physical feeling again. And I can tell you, like, I probably did pills for the last time, uh, put that in quotes for the people that are listening, um, probably a hundred times because you're in this space where you, you know, what you're doing is wrong. There's still the, the part of your brain that's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this isn't you, but you're so consumed and you're so afraid and you're so alone that you have to seek that one thing that's providing you comfort. Um, and then the last time, you know, I, I went, I went through anywhere between three and seven days of withdrawals dozens of times as I was trying to quit, trying to quit, trying to quit. And sometimes I would even make it through the physical withdrawals. And that's actually when the real battle starts. Um, because the physical withdrawals are this constant reminder that you are unwell. And then your, your body becomes well again. But then it's the mental battle. And you realize my mind is still not well. My body might be well, but my mind is still not well. And you start to have these, you know, voices that are telling you just one more time, you know, uh, it'll be fine. Um, you're feeling better. You're doing better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I can say, you know, that, that mental battle, the physical withdrawals a week, the mental battle three to six months. I mean, it was, um, it was brutal. Um, and a, you, you sort of feel like you need to be admitted into a psych ward because about 30 times a day, I would go back and forth between, okay, just, you know, just go, just go pick up, just text them. Uh, what are you, what are you talking about? Like you literally have these two voices, like Gollum and Smeagol, like literally that's how it felt like for, for a long time. But, um, you know, if you have the support of loved ones and you have the support of friends and you'd be really honest with yourself and with those, with your support system about what's going on and what you're feeling, um, you can get through it. Anybody can get through it. I, I, I truly believe that. It's a really powerful sentiment. And, and this is applicable to really any addiction, whether it's, pornography, fast food, booze, or the opioid, you know, it's a real epidemic. There are fleets of 18-wheeler trucks at this very moment transporting tons of these pills across our nation because doctors hand them out like candy. Yeah. Knowing, knowing what you know now, would you have ever taken that first pill or would you have 
looked at more alternative natural health solutions? And, and if so, what are those natural health solutions? Oh man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get within 200 yards of those things if I knew. No, absolutely not. If I, knowing what I know now, I would never touch them. And, and I am in the place now where if you came to me and you had a handful of pills and you were to you know, present them to me, I would take them and I would throw them in the toilet. Those things are unquestionably evil. And the fact that doctors hand them out like candy and nurses hand them out like candy. I just had a conversation with an RN at Friendsgiving a couple weeks ago, and it almost turned into an argument because she was telling me that she prescribes them like candy. And I was like, don't you see what's wrong with that? And she like, had a smile on her face. I was like, don't you get it? I digress. Um, I would never get anywhere near it. And the alternative health solutions that I would pay attention to are around, first and foremost, mindset. There were a lot of things that I would tell myself when I first hurt my back or even, you know, even as recently as like, you know, three, two to three years ago, I would say things like I can't do X activity. My back is fucked up. Your body is listening to you say that. Right. And you get in this state of mind where you are constantly worried, constantly fearful about overexerting yourself and making things worse. I would also tell myself, you know, I, when it comes to mindfulness and pain and mindfulness in your body, the way you talk to yourself is affecting your nervous system constantly. And if you are in a, if your nervous system is stuck in a sympathetic state, you will not be able to heal. So as doctors would tell me things like, uh, don't sit for too long. Don't ever do this exercise. Don't do this. Don't do this. Obviously, that's not part of the human experience. Like, I, I have to sit. Like, I work. What are you talking about? Or at the time I was working in a restaurant, like, what do you mean I can't stand for, you know, like, what am I supposed to do then? So these doctors and these professionals would always be telling you things that you can't do. And that feeds into this sympathetic state of your nervous system where you are now fearful and anxious about things that are just everyday, you know, movements, uh, everyday activities, everyday parts of the human experience. So addressing mind, your mindset and being mindful of the way you talk to your body and, and the way you think about your body, very, very important. The next thing I would say is movement is a really important aspect of healing from any sort of chronic pain. Um, your body has to move. We have to you know, rejuvenate the area with blood flow. We have to remove toxins through the lymphatic system. Um, we have to correct uh, negative movement patterns. It's a really, really important aspect of this as well, because if you're moving incorrectly or there are imbalances unilaterally from one side to the other, you're going to have compensations. Compensations are going to lead to tightness or weakness on one side. And, you know, the whole system gets thrown out of whack. So addressing your chronic pain from a standpoint of moving better uh, and strengthening and lengthening certain areas of your body that may be weak. And, you know, so many of us were in this constant battle against compression because we're always sitting, right. Or we're always sedentary or we're laying on the couch and we're not moving our bodies forward through space. So, you know, you have to unlearn a lot of these habits and then you have to get yourself into a place where you're going to be able to, uh, fix them. And the frustrating thing for people is that we want a quick fix. Like I wanted to take a pill and feel better. And unfortunately, that's just not the way it works. I was stuck in a seat as you were in school throughout my entire adolescence. And then I would get home, I would play video games and I'd, or I'd be at the computer and I'd be in a chair for even longer. So these things are like these movement patterns and this compressive, these compressive forces have been ingrained to us for years and years and years and years and years. And years. 
and you want something that's going to fix it in days or weeks. And that's just not the case. It's going to take time. It might even take years, right? Um, so that's just the, the next thing I would, I would, you know, anybody who's listening, who's dealing with some sort of chronic pain issue is just be patient with yourself, be patient with the process, uh, and pay attention to the little wins. The little wins are always there and they're always important. The last two are just sort of, uh, easy, you know, nutrition is, is very important. If you're an inflammatory, if your body is in an inflammatory state, we need to do whatever we can to get it out of inflammation. So being really con- cognizant of, you know, what you're putting in your body, um, anything that could be considered pro-inflammatory, of course, like, you know, this horse has been beaten to death, like processed food, uh, industrial seed oils, all that stuff, avoid it like the plague. We need to get our body out of inflammation. We need to balance our omega-3, omega-6 ratio. And uh, yeah, we just need to really have an awareness about uh, what we're putting in our body because it, it affects the entire system. It can be your, you know, your medicine, or your poison. And then the last thing is nature move in nature, go on hikes, get sunlight, connect to the earth, get in the ground, make love to a tree, uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever, whatever you can do to get outside and reconnect with our, the natural world and our natural state of being is, is incredibly important. Um, and those are actually like the reason I said those in that order is that those are my four pillars for, for healing chronic pain, mindfulness, movement, nutrition, and nature. I think if you can uh, approach it from all four of those areas and get those in sync, it's going to be really, really difficult for you not to see improvement. I mean, I would say almost impossible because those are the four pillars of health in general. And um, yeah, if you can really dial all those in, you'll be in a much better place. That's a beautiful, comprehensive system or approach perspective to just taking a holistic health approach to, you know, amplifying the body's natural healing system, what the ancient Greeks called veriditas, our, our life force energy that is is constantly healing and repairing and, and regrowing instead of just masking the pain. Let's remove these kinks in the system that are kind of causing and proliferating the pain in the first place. And let's amplify this regeneration that, that's happening in every, every moment. Cells are dying and being reborn and the body's sort of being a victim of entropy just as we age and go through time, but then also also regenerating with the help of what we kind of call in this weird way, holistic health, which used to just be the way that the human organ. <laughs> the way we live. Yeah. It was just, it's just like this collection of, and it's so bizarre. You're talking about school system and it's, it's just crazy being a, you know, human born. I was born in like 1990 and as a millennial, we're just like born into this very strange sort of system where we're just like so connected from what was like an ancient reality or, you know, the human natural state and we just gotta be look around the the moment we get some sovereignty when we graduate school and we're just kind of given this like plate of a mess that's just like well you've been sitting under lights like forcing yourself to learn all this nonsense for 22 years here you go like have fun with life here's some like alcohol and some pills literally yeah i was just gonna say yeah yeah here's your id so you can go drink at the bar enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) it's really strange it's it's exceptionally bizarre you know it makes me think that we're in just like, this is all some strange dream that we're experiencing. You know, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I, I've yet, I've yet to make any sense of it, but I think you're really onto something because I've implemented a similar system in, in my life. And it's just, it's been nothing but positive, not only in healing, you know, the 
past depression that used to be, you know, a, a ball and chain, but also activating this new sense of self and creativity and, and vibrancy in the world that was previously dormant that I had no idea about that really gives me this energy and enthusiasm to just share with the world. Like, hold on, there's this thing that's better than drugs. I don't know what to call it, but it's this state that you can be in when you get your systems aligned. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, with that, man. I, that, that's something that ever since I've really begun to like, whatever you want to call it, optimize health or just like really embody those four pillars that I mentioned previously. It's like all of a sudden I'm waking up on a day-to-day basis and I feel so much better than any drug has ever made me feel, right? I mean, it's, it's spectacular. It's amazing. It's every day. It's just like, it's like I go outside and I see the sun and I'm like, God, it is so good to be here. Uh, I always say like life is a gift and I truly believe that. And I, and I, and even on like the worst days, I'd still believe that. And it's because of this way that, you know, once you start to get into this, uh, this state of coherence and alignment with how you're living and how you want to show up in the world. Um, yeah, it's, it's the best. That's all I can say about it. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And there's another part of what you do and share online that is, is really awesome and, popular and it's ice cream you're you make a tremendous amount of amazing looking raw milk ice cream how, how'd you get into that and like what's what, how, what kind of part is, has that played in your life <laughs> yeah man so i i i love to cook i love being in the kitchen i think we're similar in that manner like to get get creative and nourish our bodies it feels good physically it feels good mentally um it's a, it's just a really nice way to spend your time I think no matter how much money I end up making in my life, I will always, you know, cook for myself. I, I love it. Um, with that said, I wanted to find uh, a different thing to start making. So I tried making sourdough bread. Turns out that shit's impossible. <laughs> I can't do it. There's too many opportunities to screw it up. So uh, I tried like four different loaves of sourdough bread and it was so difficult and I couldn't get it to rise ever. And I had no idea what I was doing wrong. So I gave up. I was like, fuck this. Um, uh, and then I, <laughs> and then obviously, you know, love raw milk. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I, it, it's something like on our, on our little weird corner of Twitter, like you start to see people saying things like, you know, ice cream can, ice cream is healthy. And then I was like, how? And I started looking into it and I was like, oh, well, if you properly source, the ingredients and you know you don't add a way too much sugar and you know maybe use some natural sweeteners instead there's absolutely zero reason ice cream couldn't be healthy and i got really excited by that idea because i have a pretty pervasive sweet tooth i would say growing up that was always my weakness when it came to food was the sweets so yeah i saw uh you know our friend harry clemenza uh, post a thread on how to make raw milk ice cream. And, you know, I bought an ice cream maker and, and started making it and uh, started perfecting it, um, at least in my opinion. No no uh, ill will toward Harry. He gave me the, the best blueprints possible. But, um, yeah, and it's just been a load of fun. Uh, you know, people react to it in a positive manner, which I think is always great motivation to continue doing it. Every time I bring it to places or gift it to people, I get really great responses on it. People keep telling me to open an ice cream store. And uh, for right now, it's just going to be a labor of love. You know, every every batch I make, I get uh, two jars, two mason jars out of it. And I gift one and I eat one. And that seems to be a pretty good system for right now. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like the pricing on if you were to commercial make it commercially available, I feel like it would be not very affordable, not very cost effective, and the margins would be pretty thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. I'm like I said. I'm pretty happy to just share it with people with those I love for right now. Uh, I'll leave. I'll leave the commercial stuff to Alex or Van Lewins or one of the Hagen Dawes or one of those other brands. Some of these things, the best, really the best things you can create in the kitchen really aren't available at restaurants. They're just, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to be able to get a burger fried in tallow on homemade sourdough buns just because it can't, you know, some things can't be scaled. It's something made with love from the best quality ingredients. It's not going to be scaled unless you're going to some five-star, you know, ultra exclusive restaurant and you know right sure you could do that but you could also make these learn to make these things at home relatively simply for a fraction of the cost and right. you're suddenly experiencing just the highest possible meal that you can have and, and you're right these foods one crazy delicious two insanely healthy despite what anyone might think when you say oh hold up ice cream is a superfood burgers are a superfood steak is a superfood really is some of the more amazing part of, of once you understand real true health, you can kind of embrace these foods as something that adds to your ability to be a vibrant human in the world. And it just starts to compound because, wow, this is, you know, pretty great way to live. Yeah. I liked what you said, you know, certain, certain things can't be scaled and, and that especially holds true when you're making food, you know, with love and, and you're putting your care and your energy into it. And uh, one of the most beautiful and simple things that we as humans can do is to break bread with, with loved ones, is to make delicious and nutritious food with people and sit around and enjoy it just with people that we love, right? With family, with friends. And you can't replicate that in a restaurant, right? Like that's why Thanksgiving will forever be my favorite holiday um, is because it embodies that perfectly. It's like, hey, let's just all get together. Let's nourish our bodies, drink a little wine, let's laugh, let's pray, let's love. And um, yeah, that cannot be scaled. That's that's something that's only uh, replicable at the smallest level. And I think that's beautiful. It's true. It's true. And I think part of the reason that you love ice cream so much is because you live in Arizona where it gets really hot. Is that is that part of the <laughs> part of the equation? Um, no, nah, I, I eat it year round, man. <laughs> No, it definitely doesn't get, uh, it doesn't ever get cold. So I do have, I am blessed to be able to eat it year round, but, um, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it just kind of stuck. I, I can't, I can't describe it. I think it was honestly like I got such a mad dopamine rush from, uh, all the Twitter notifications I got the first time I posted it. that I was like, I have to keep doing this. I have to like, it was like, you got any more of that ice cream, you know, uh, engagement, please. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of funny how the internet will guide you to like, uh, you know, creatively in life by like setting up, grooving your mind with, you know, setting your dopamine receptors up for like, no, this is like, <laughs> they're going to like put you in a box like you're the ice cream guy. We want more. Yeah. Of this. yeah. And then sometimes you just got to take it and run with it, you know? Yeah, it's fun too. And and like you said, it's, it's healthy. So like, no big deal. You know, it's just adding, adding to your life. And the, the piece I was, I was kind of touching on with Arizona as, as well as because you also, you share a lot of great landscapes and, and hikes that you've been on. It looks like Arizona has a lot of beautiful nature. I've never been out there, but you've got all these prehistoric looking canyons and, and mountainsides and these sunsets and sunrises. The desert is just such a, a beautiful landscape. Arizona is amazing. Um, and the fact that I grew up here made me uh, not appreciate truly how unique Arizona is in terms of its landscapes and its biodiversity. 
um, because it was just, it was just what we always saw, you know? So, um, yeah, I feel, I feel really blessed. And that was actually one of the things as I came out of, you know, sort of the depression addiction part of my life was using nature and using outdoor activities. Cause that was something we always grew up doing things outside. That was just how my family was fishing, hiking, exploring. We have a cabin in Colorado building forts, you know, in the forest or just doing any number of these things. It's how we grew up. So I realized I had to return to that as my, you know, some of my default actions, especially on the weekends um, when I had a lot of time and I was bored, I had to return to nature. And um, I started to really realize how incredible Arizona is. And the amazing thing about Arizona as well is that like, we obviously have the Sonoran desert in the surrounding area of Phoenix where the saguaro cactus, I mean, like only place in the world where you'll find a saguaro, but just the mountains, incredible. The views, incredible. But then you can go two hours in any direction and uh, find yourself in a completely different biome. Um, Sedona with the red rocks, right? Uh, Or you can go to like Payson or Flagstaff and you're in pine forests. Um, You can go south to Tucson and it's like, you know, different, different types of mountains, but still desert, like low desert. Uh, And that has been something that, you know, coming back, coming back to this, uh, to hiking and, and exploring as a default action has been one of the greatest things that I've done for myself, for my soul. Um, I used to be in a place where, you know, I was working in restaurants and this was even after I stopped doing pills, but like, you know, working in a restaurant on a Friday night, you get out at 11 or, or midnight, you're off work and you're at a bar. You're like, cool. Like I'll have a couple beers. Right. And then, you know, you go to the bar next door and that one's open until two. And then, you know, your whole weekend's ruined all of a sudden because you're not, uh, uh, you're, 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 you're over. Or then I would, I, then I got an office job and my life started to like get back on track and I had a great routine, but like part of the thing at the office job was like, Oh, it's Friday. Let's say happy hour. And just getting into these like sort of cycles of working all week, screwing up my weekend because I was, you know, having a late night on Friday night and I didn't want to be productive the rest of the weekend. And then I'd switch that. And I said, okay, well, if I make a plan to go hiking at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning, well, then I can't do anything on Friday night. So that's a good thing. And then I would have this amazing, fulfilling Saturday morning. And I was doing things that were filling up my proverbial cup rather than depleting the cup. Right. And um, yeah, I'll never go back. I mean, you know, there's a time and place for a little bit of debauchery here and there. But uh, in terms of my default on the weekends, like get me outside. I want to adventure. I want to. I want to trek. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's it's just the beach and uh, the ocean and a similar point of view where I want to be able to take advantage of having full energy and being there in the morning and, and revitalizing and and experience the joy of of getting out there, breathing fresh air. You know, all that is is great. And I remember you had mentioned a little while back about considering moving to California, is that still something that you're thinking about or are you going to put down some roots in, in Arizona? Yeah, man, I, uh, I'm doing, uh, one more year in Arizona at the, at the bare minimum. I got to say, like, uh, I do, I love it here. Um, all my friends are here, uh, very close friends, very dear friends, people I love and have known for, for many, many years. One thing that I've been feeling a lot lately is that I've been craving change and, uh, unfortunately that change will not take place in the term in, in the sense of relocating to like a new city or a new state, but I am, you know, I've lived in this apartment where I am right now with my roommate who I love dearly for like three and a half years. 
Uh, we are going our separate ways in February. Finally, it feels like a divorce. We're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm moving in with a couple of really great guys uh, uh, close by 20 minutes away. Um, so even though it's not a change in the term, terms of the physical location, I, I am getting a little bit of a change in terms of the personnel. And uh, one of them has uh, his family has a ranch, which I'm super excited to, you know, go out and do some ranching with him and kind of learn how to be a cowboy. His nickname is actually Cowboy. Um, he makes leather belts and custom belt buckles as his side hustle. So he's like the real deal. So, uh, yeah, no California in my foreseeable future, but hey, man, we're six hours away from each other. So I'm sure I'll find some time to get out there uh, soon. And of course, if you ever come to Arizona, I would love to have you here. Absolutely. I've never been. It's definitely on my list of, of places to explore. And, you know, what's what's coming to mind now is just some rapid, rapid fire questions to just kind of pivot this conversation into like some random directions, just throw things, throw things out at you. So I'm, I'm just going to scramble my brain up a little bit and, and think of some out there questions. Let's see. You think the, you think the moon landing was real? Do you think we've, we've been to the moon or do you think that that was all made up? <laughs> um, no, I don't. <laughs> what makes you think that? Well, I just, uh, it's cause I've, I've been introduced to esoteric Twitter and, um, my whole worldview has been shifted. Uh, I don't know, man. Like I, <laughs> I always love, I always love the, um, there was a really, really funny post on Twitter the other day. It was like, uh, here's, it was like NASA posted a picture of Mars and, uh, it was like, here's, here's a picture from the Rover today on Mars. And somebody like the first comment was like, uh, no, that was Utah uh, last week with a 2012 Instagram filter. You know? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of this stuff is really complex and really complicated. I think that, um, you know, the fact that we haven't been supposedly haven't been back to the moon and like there's I, I've, I guess I can't pull off the all the conspiracy points off the top of my head. Uh, my normie friends are going to kill me when they listen to this and they say, you don't believe in the moon, the moon landing. Um but it's uh, a little suspicious that we haven't been back. That, that's a little there's, bit suspicious. There's, and there were a number of other points that I read and like, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't recite them. Listen, I used to get real deep into the conspiracy stuff, like in general. And what I realized that is that that was not a good way for me to, to spend my time and energy, <laughs> um, especially around some like the COVID conspiracies and the World Economic Forum and like all this stuff. Like in 2020, man, I was... Like I was, I was deep, deeply in on 4chan, like scrolling, reading all this wild stuff. And it was, you know, getting to the point where to a certain extent it was like consuming me. And I was like, you know what? Like I had to sit down and ask myself, is this, is this making my life better? Um, and the answer was no, it's not. <laughs> uh, so I had to really step away from that and now directing my energy to the things that I can control, which is my, myself, how I spend my time. And then hopefully by improving, you know, those things and making those things better, I can project outwardly to my family and my friends and my community. And uh, that to me is a better, a better use of my energy than, you know, being able to list off a bunch of facts about whether the earth is flat or the moon landing is real. <laughs> yeah, agreed. There is some level of like, well, this is sort of fiction. Like you might as well be obsessed with, you know, Middle Earth and like the ways, the ways that, you know, the, the dwarves were fighting the elves in like some made up yeah. you know, land. Like there's really, there's so much that is just unknown. It's really pretty fictional. And I read something recently um, 
I think it was actually regarding flat earth. And it was like, you're trying to prove the unprovable until you get to us into, until you somehow get into, you know, some sort of lab where the technologies or they, or like some entity comes out and exposes the classified documents. Like you're really just going to be arguing over something that's unknowable, at least for right now, you know, and I appreciate the people that are going out of their way to do research and disprove things that are universally believed. I think it's important. And I'm not saying that facetiously whatsoever. Like I actually believe that like questioning mainstream narratives is incredibly important, whether that's for flat earth or just for health, right? Like this is something that we've seen time and time again over the last uh, two, three years since the whole COVID thing happened, right? Is like the mainstream narrative is not always necessarily in the favor of the people. So the, to, to the people who are out there who are, you know, questioning, keep going. Uh, but it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. At least on some of the really esoteric shit. Yeah. It's like, what difference does it make at the end of the day? It's like exactly. the best thing that we exactly. can do is to make ourselves as, as resilient and, and powerful and self-actualized as possible and spreading it yes. to our immediate circle. And, you know, the more people that do that, the better life becomes really, you can kind of boil it down to that yes. and, you know, being obsessed with whether Klaus Schwab is trying to get us all eat bugs or <laughs> there, there's so many of these like silly kind of stories that are distraction ultimately that, you know, it's, let's see another, another question. Um, what's something that you purchased recently that's added significant value to your life that was just like, wow, this thing is cool. Well, I just bought a bow, a hunting bow, a compound bow. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but I whacked myself with the string on the arm. You can see that bruise. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's gnarly. We'll see whether it adds value to my life beyond fucking up my forearm. But, um, you know, I, I, I think you'll appreciate this. Like one thing I love, one thing that uh, especially some of our the Meat Mafia boys and some of our other friends on Twitter have have made me conscientious of is like how I'm sourcing my food. And uh, like I work at the farmer's market twice a month with, you know, my beef ranch. Uh, I trade my time for beef. Um, they do all the Regen Agus stuff. But the next level to that is actually harvesting meat on my own. So I am super excited to get out there and uh, try and harvest some meat. I don't imagine it'll go very well the first couple of times. Bow hunting is incredibly difficult. It's a massive challenge. You have to get, you know, within like 40 to 50 yards of the animal and then you have to make the kill shot. Like there's a lot that can go wrong in that process. So I don't foresee it, you know, being something that happens right away or even maybe even next year. But I have told myself that uh, I will be hunting in 2023. And I never really fancied myself much of a hunter, to be honest. Like, I remember my first, uh, my first memory of hunting was I was 12 years old. My dad, I told my dad, we got a BB gun. It was a big deal at the time. I told my dad, I wanted to go hunt. So we're at the cabin and he took me out to shoot a chipmunk. Um, so we were romping around the forest all day, looking for a bird or a chipmunk or just like anything to hunt. And I, uh, we found one and we pumped up, you know, his little air compression BB gun. And, and I, I sighted up and I shot the squirrel and I hit it and it fell out of the tree and we walked over and the squirrel was not dead. Um, it was, you know, like seizing on the ground, essentially suffering immensely. And I had to watch my dad put a BB in its head. And that was what I thought would be the end of hunting for me. I was like very shook by that experience. I was like, okay, like I'm okay if I never kill anything again, you know, but uh, you know, not 12 anymore. Um, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm really uh, attracted to the process 
and the challenge of you know harvesting your own meat in a way that would be at least somewhat similar to maybe how our ancestors absolutely and i recorded a there's a podcast episode with tristan scott who tells the story of his first hunt where he had never gone just like went in the woods with his friends and was able to come back with a massive elk it was a really inspiring story and yeah. gets me you know excited about the opportunity to to try hunting as well and yeah start to see how this plays out for you on, on your journey and um Another question that, that's coming to mind is what's, what's a piece of media, whether it's a book or a YouTube video or a, a movie that you've seen recently that was, that was good or that struck you as a good piece of, good piece of work? Uh, I have a, a disheveled stack of books on my desk right now that I'm looking at. Um, <laughs> so this is actually kind of uh, good timing. I, I read Bronze Age, Bronze Age Mindset recently which, you know, Twitter is like obsessed with and uh, Bronze, Bronze Age Pervert just got back on to unbanned from Twitter today. So it's funny. I don't really see the the allure of the book and maybe I'm not smart enough to understand it, but like it was just like wasn't, you know, anything special to me. Um, but that's the one I've read most recently. Uh, we did a book club, um, which this was a reread, but it definitely hit different. Um, the most recent read, which was The Power of Now. Um, by Eckhart Tolle. So I got that one right here. Read that with Brian Kimson and some other friends and um, can't recommend that book enough. Uh, a really incredible read, really incredible message. One that I think we all need to be reminded of constantly because in this world we live in, it's it's hard to be present. It's hard to be here. There's, there's always so much going on. There's a lot of distractions and um, right now is all we got. So recommend that one for sure. Powerful. Love Eckhart Tolle. He's got that other book. I think it's called like A Whole New Earth or something and, and also really good. Um, yeah, he's powerful spiritual presence in this in this world and as are you. And, you know, definitely an intelligent and, and creative individual on, on the path to to ascending on, on this journey of life and really appreciate the, the time that you spent uh, with me sharing your story with any, everyone listening. And is there anything else that you'd like to sort of share um, as, as we land this podcast any anything left unspoken or, or additional details that, that you'd like to to give yeah yeah absolutely so um you know there's two things the first thing i'll say is that you know if if anybody's going through it right now um whatever that means for you that's a difficult time in your life loss of a loved one uh, addiction to drugs uh, chronic chronic pain whatever it is um you know, the negative things that happen in your life are, are always going to feel negative and they're always going to feel difficult and they're always going to be tough um, in the moment. But I would just say, as a, you know, to, to spread a little bit of a message of positivity is just to remember that like one day you will look back on the struggles that you're going through right now and you'll realize that there's a reason that it happened, right? There's something you, you learn from it, something you gain from it. it comes back to that theme of, going through a traumatic experience and then being able to offer something to the tribe. And I, I believe in that so strongly because that's been my experience and, um, and the experience of many people I know as well, right? You, you go through something difficult and you come out with something and it takes time to look back and see what that something was. But uh, usually you can find a silver line and you can find a positive, a positive thing that came from it. Um, the second thing I will say is that if anybody is out there uh, dealing specifically with chronic pain um, and they want to talk, they want advice, uh, they need help, um, 
if that's with addiction or mindset or, you know, the movement stuff or otherwise, please reach out to me and find me on Twitter uh, at Michael Ammons, Instagram at Michael Ammons. Um, just reach out. I'm, I'm an open book. You know, my DMs are always open. I'll answer same day. Uh, you're not alone in this. Um, just like even at times when I felt like I was alone, I, I wasn't. There were people there for me. So I just want people to know if you're going through it, I am there for you. And I mean that uh, with all my heart. So, yeah, that's it. Powerful. Michael Amons, thank you. Appreciate it, Casey. You're a legend, man. Thank you.